Thank you, Pastor Hamp. Boy, it is good to be back. Praise the Lord. It's so good to... I wish I could say see you. I can't see you. All I can see is the backside of a camera, but I hope that you can see us. And uh, it is a joy on this Sunday especially to be here together. Uh, Trying times, no doubt. Challenging times. But this is the lead up to the greatest celebration that the Church of Christ could ever have. Here we are at Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Jesus would give his life for us. So next week we're going to celebrate the Easter season, the Easter celebration of Christ's resurrection. And let me give a few announcements first just so our home folks will know. And those of you listening, you can chime in on this during the week because we're making available to you uh, several options that you can uh, be a part of what's going on here in the church. Of course, those of you who have Facebook, you're watching by Facebook Live. That's exciting. And uh, hopefully that's coming to you okay right now. I also want to make an announcement that you can, as of next week, at least we're hoping to make this happen by next week, you can also go to our YouTube channel, LHBC Church, LHBC Church. And for those of you or people that you know that don't have Facebook, can log in to YouTube and uh, watch us live there as well. Then there will also be on our website There should be a link there on our homepage uh, that you can go directly to YouTube and uh, be able to do that. So try to make as many options available as we can, and uh, hopefully that will work out. Now, for those of you that are interested in this, uh, we've been taking advantage or will be taking advantage of Zoom, the software Zoom. And uh, many of you know already that you've been doing the 9 a.m. class with Brother Jeff Sims, and so that's happening through Zoom. Monday night, tomorrow night, our men's Bible study will be happening at 6 p.m., but you're all welcome, uh, brothers out there, uh, any of you who may be listening to this, to join us. That'll be at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll send an invitation link for that. And then our Tuesday morning meeting for men's Bible study has changed from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and so you're welcome to join us for that. Also by Zoom, which will be an invitation sent out to you. And then Wednesday night, we're going to be starting at 6.30 our DIA class, and that is a Disciple in Action class. And we're going to be working through Paul Miller's book, Love Walked Among Us. Paul Miller's book, Love Walked Among Us. And so if you haven't gotten that book, you can get that on Amazon for a very inexpensive price. You can find it through a Kindle that way if you like electronic copies. But that's what we're going to be working through beginning next Wednesday night. So all of you are welcome to join and uh, we'll send out the invitation link for you as well. Now, as I said, uh, here we are right at the greatest celebration of the church. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We're going to do this a little differently, obviously. We're in that kind of situation. But I'm going to ask you to find some elements, if you will, of juice or water, whatever you may have, and uh, some bread, a cracker or something, and I'm going to lead us through communion at a part of the service next week. And so be prepared in your hearts and in your minds to have communion and to celebrate the Lord's coming and his return through that. And so it's going to be just an exciting time. And we'll take advantage, going to continue to take advantage of everything that we can at at our disposal to make sure that you're being blessed. And I want to encourage each of you still to, if you have any of these cards or don't have any of these cards, we gave these out some time ago. It just simply is entitled, uh, Let Us Love One Another, 1 John 4, 7. I want to encourage you to find something or some way to get in touch with your neighbors, people that you're thinking about, uh, text them, uh, send them some kind of message through social media, whatever may be necessary, so that you're doing all that you can do 
to reach people in this time. It's a critical, critical time for us to be reaching into the lives of people and so we can be a part of helping to rescue those that are lost. And so those are just some of the things coming up. Uh, please keep watching our website, visitlaurelhill.org, visitlaurelhill.org, and uh, you'll be seeing more and more of these things coming up as we try to make them available to you. All right, many other things that we could talk about, but let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessings on our time here today. Father, we just are so overjoyed that you've given us this privilege through the airwaves, through technology, to still get your word out and to encourage the saints. Lord, even though we can't be together physically, we long for the day that we'll be able to do just that. But until then, we just thank you and praise you that you've given us this ability and you've given us the skilled people to put these things together so that we can be together even remotely. Now, Lord, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would, as always, open our hearts that we may have some discernment from your word about a very, very difficult subject that we're going through right now, this coronavirus. And Lord, may we see what you say about what you want us to know in the midst of the things that we don't know. And so we ask your blessings again, that you'd help me in my words and my thoughts and my voice, that it would be clear, and that, Lord, you'd speak into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, now, as you know, if you're part of the church here at Laurel Hill, that we spend our time going verse by verse. And that's just what we believe. I certainly believe that as a pastor, that going verse by verse through each letter is the proper way, I should say. And I don't mean to say that topical messages aren't important. They certainly are. But we get the full context of what God is giving to us in his word. But there are times when we need to address certain subjects that are happening in our culture and in our world. And, of course, this is a time that's just for that. And so this morning I've titled the message, What do we know about the coronavirus from God's word? What do we know about the coronavirus from God's word? In other words, if we believe that this is the Bible is the absolute infallible inerrant word and God gives to us everything that we need to know how to survive in this life, what is it that he's telling us from his word about the coronavirus? Well, the interesting thing is, if you're a student of the Bible, you're going to know this. There's nothing in the scripture about the coronavirus, and that is specifically. But there are some things that God will tell us through his word that are going to help us and give us some understanding and clarity about what's going on. And so I hope you'll stick around and that you'll listen to everything that I'm going to say this morning. I'm going to start with our text in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 20 through 22. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and through 22. Hopefully you can see over my shoulder here the text if you don't have your Bible in front of you there. Uh, but I want to encourage you to join us. Now, I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture today. And that's not unusual, I know, but I'm going to be covering a lot of things. So you may just want to jot down the references and then go back or at least go back and listen to the message if you choose to do so. But let's just jump in here in Romans chapter 8. And this is through the Apostle Paul. He says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him, and that's a capital H, talking about the Lord who was subjected it, who subjected it in hope. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now there are some very important 
statements made by the Lord here through the Apostle Paul in just those few verses there. Notice in verse 20 again, the creation, that's everything that God has made, was subjected to futility. To futility, not willingly. It was not the creation's willingness on its own part, but because of God who purposefully subjected creation to futility as a result of man's sin. Again in verse 21, that creation itself so that it will be set free from slavery to corruption. In other words, there's coming a day where God is going to set free even the elements of this world. And we're going to look at that specifically now as we need to remember some very, very important things in this time that we're in. Number one, I think it's very critical that we remember from God that we live in a very fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 17, just as a refresher. For some of you, this may not be a refresher. This may be the first time. And so you're going to get some interesting education from God as we see what's happened from past eternity, from time past to where we are today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And then to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now notice what God says here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because you have listened, you Adam, you have listened to something that I told you not to do. And you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. And you have not eaten that you were not supposed to eat, so cursed is the ground. And notice this phrase in verse 17, because of you, Adam. The ground is cursed because of you. So we could easily say that the world, God says, is cursed because of Adam. Now, in the context, if you're listening to all this carefully, you're going to understand that that includes the plant world. In Genesis chapter 3, going on through verses 18 and 19, the latter part of picking up on the latter part of verse 17, in toil you will eat it all the days of your life. Listen, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Listen, this is why we have things like poison ivy. This is why we have rashes. This is why we have death occurring from things that we eat. It's because the earth, even the plant world, according to God, and because of Adam's disobedience, because of that, we have these things. And even in the animal world, look at verse 14, Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and that's Satan who is um, taken on the form of a serpent here or come into a serpent. I'm not really sure. Probably that's what happened. Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. Now what God is telling us here is that this is the reason why dogs bite. This is the reasons why spiders bite. This is why we have bees and insects that sting. This is why we have snakes that bite. This is why we have horses that kick. And this is why we have all kinds of problems between man and animal because even the animal world is cursed. But not only that, with the plants and the animals, but even the elements of the world are plagued. We have earthquakes. We have tornadoes. We have hurricanes and tsunamis. We have all kinds of pestilence around the world of disease. And even this very virus 
all kinds of things just like this. And cancer are a result of the curse that's on the earth. And we know now that man is subject, secondly, to that curse. And that really becomes the next point. Our relationships with each other are easily broken. It's the reason why we have wars. It's why the world has been at war with itself ever since the beginning of time, ever since Adam disobeyed God, except for a very few years. Man has always had some kind of uh, issue with his fellow man. That's why we have the violence that we have between people and hatred and, and the selfishness that goes on between families and neighbors and all of that. And why in the world would anyone stock up on supplies if they were thinking about other people? A man doesn't typically think about other people. Man thinks about himself. Why? Because he's under a curse. And the one that is preeminent to him is himself. Why in the world would a person... I was just watching a video the other day of a guy who built a bomb shelter for he and his family, and I've often thought, well, what's going to happen when your neighbor is running out of water? Are you going to be willing to give him water if there's a problem? You think that whole thing through and you realize that man is very selfish. And it's all a result from this. And by God's grace, however, praise his name, he has given to man a certain sense of wisdom. And man has learned to deal with a lot of these things. And we're so blessed by that. Thank the Lord that we have the medical world today and the doctors and those that are the caregivers to help us in this virus. Cancer is being dealt with in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And diseases certain diseases at least are less today and man can do amazing things to the human body to preserve it people are living longer now we have healthier lives and praise the lord for all that but still man is very limited in his knowledge man has very limited knowledge about this virus for example maybe there's going to be a vaccine or a drug coming soon i know that there is overtime being spent by many many people in the field to try to bring to us something that's going to help. But for now, man has no ability to stop it except to simply quarantine the entire world, to put us all in our places, away from everything that's familiar to us, because right now this virus is smarter than we are. It's brought every person to the same level. In fact, every human being on the planet is susceptible to this virus. There's no one that is immune to this. You think with me for just a second and we realize that there's no amount of money that can keep the virus away from someone. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're famous or you're not so famous. There's nothing that can keep away the virus. There's no ability or talent or skill that can keep the virus away. And that shows that man is very limited in certain subjects, in lots of subjects. In fact, there are lots of things that man just cannot fix. There are lots of things that man just does not have knowledge of or ability for. Which leads us really to the third point, which is man is very frail and needy. Now, our humanness doesn't like to admit that, but it really is true. But thankfully, God in his perfect wisdom and ability is able to do all things. I'm reminded of an encounter that God had with Abraham and Sarah many, many years ago, again back in the book of Genesis. You remember the story when God told Sarah that she was going to have a child. She was well past childbearing years, and so was Abraham. And here's what he says. He comes to her in chapter 18, verse 9, and then they said to him, that's Jesus, at least in a, an epiphany or a theophany of Jesus, I should say, 
not epiphany, but a theophany, where, where is Sarah your wife? He says to Abraham, and he said there in the tent, and he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. Can you imagine getting that kind of message? When you're well past childbearing years. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. There it is. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, talking about her husband. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And this is a beautiful part of this verse and something we should remember all the time and all the days of our lives. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. You see, God knows the heart. Now listen, you'll remember how God caused, in another scenario, water to be parted so the Hebrew people could leave and flee from the Egyptians and get to safety. God did an amazing event there where he literally parted the Red Sea with his own hands. There was a time in the wilderness where he caused the earth to open and swallow many of the rebellious people because they would not follow God. And God overpowered and overcame and commanded the earth to swallow them up. There have been times where he raised the dead, he's healed the sick, he's given sight to the blind, he's given sound to the deaf, and he even made water come from a rock. And it's just what the Lord was saying to Abraham, is there anything that's impossible with God? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing that's impossible with God. Listen, no matter what kind of situation we find ourselves in, there is nothing that's impossible with God. Praise his name. But the difficulty in all of that understanding is, is then we have to ask the question, why then has God given to us, or not given to us rather, the cure for the COVID-19? Or anything else that affects man for that matter? What's the reasoning behind all that? Well, reason number, number one may startle you a little bit, but the answer really is we don't know. We don't know what God is doing in a sense, in these days with this virus. God is infinite in his knowledge and in his wisdom. He is, we are, we are finite beings. We don't have the ability or the capacity to understand everything that God is doing and everything that God has done. His mind is so far beyond anything that our human minds could ever understand at all. In fact, we know that because the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 said, Of God and for God, my thoughts, the Lord speaking here, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The truth is, beloved, there are many things we just don't know. And the the truth is also there are many things we don't want to know. You think with me just for a minute. You don't want to know what tomorrow may bring necessarily. And we pray that it's a good day. We long for a good day. The weather's supposed to be pretty nice. It's the spring of the year. We're right here at Easter. But the reality is there may be something in the divine plan for your life and my life that we don't want to know. 
this very day could be the last day that you or I have on this earth. And we don't want to know that. We don't want to know that this could be the day that one of our children would die in a car crash or something horrific. Or that the day we find out that our spouse or a loved one has cancer. We don't want to know those kind of things. Or perhaps even the day that we will lose everything in the future just coming in a couple weeks to this pandemic. We don't want to know those kind of things. So they're just some things that God in his infinite wisdom has withheld from us because he knows that our minds just simply cannot comprehend it and things that are not best for us to know. I'm reminded of Job and what horrible things happened to him. And he never knew why. God never let Job know the answer to why he was going through the things that he was. We know because we have the story written from God's perspective. We know what happened in the heavenlies and what that was all about. But Job never knew. And when he came to the part where he questioned God, God showed him that there were things that were just beyond him that he just could not know. In other words, it was none of his business. For example, let me take you to Job chapter 38. And again, I'm going to blitz through some of these things pretty quickly here. So just jot them down if you're not able to keep up. Beginning in verse 1, after the Lord had allowed Job to lose all his servants but one, his children, his livestock, and Job was a wealthy man, more wealthy than anyone, and a righteous man, a man who had served the Lord faithfully. We learned that in the first few chapters, in the first chapter especially. And as we get to the end of the book, after Job has gone through physical ailments of unbelievable hurt and pain, and after his wife had said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? We get to the end of the book, and the Lord comes to him and answers Job finally after all the time that was spent. And we don't even know what kind of timing we're talking about here. The Bible doesn't give us that answer, but we are told that the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind in verse 1, And this is what he says, Who is this, speaking to Job, that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? What an amazing statement from the Lord. In other words, he's saying to Job, Job, who are you? What is it that you want to know from an infinite mind? A mind that is so far beyond anything that you can comprehend. What is it that you want to know, Job? But then the Lord says this, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you, he says, when I laid the foundation of the world, the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It's a challenging question. In verse 12 of the same chapter, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 32, can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Verse 36, who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Verse 19, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Job 39:26 Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars stretching his wings toward the south is it at your command that the eagle eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high 
Chapter 40, verse 8, Will you really annul my judgments, Job? Will you condemn me that you might be justified? And beloved, that's exactly what many people in their lives do. They look to God with a shaken fist or a clenched fist and say, Why, God? Why? And God says, My ways are beyond your knowing. And in chapter 42, Job then is allowed to answer and he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And the psalmist picking up on this in Psalm 39 in verse 4 says, The Lord makes makes me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Listen, we don't know either. We don't have a clue as to what the Lord is doing through all of this in one sense. And we don't know why the Lord is causing it specifically. And by the way, God does cause calamity. A lot of times God is taken off the hook, so to speak, by thinking that he is not one who is behind calamity, but God is behind calamity. And you say, now wait a minute, I didn't think God was the author of evil. I didn't say he was the author of evil. God is the author of calamity at times. Notice in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. The one, speaking of God, forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity, I am the Lord who does all these. In chapter 32 of Isaiah, yet he also is wise and will bring disaster, speaking of God, and does not retract his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers. Listen to that. And against the help of the workers of iniquity. God brings out calamity, beloved, against those who are against him. God is a God who will have no other gods before him, and those who seek evil and who live their lives to work against him will be brought under his divine judgment. Amos 3, 6 and 7 says, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Beloved, I think we could easily say, according to the word of the Lord, that God at times brings about calamity. And what that means is that God is not out of control of this situation with the coronavirus. God has brought it about for his own divine purposes. And what we know from the book of Job is that God gave Satan permission to afflict Job. This was not just Satan's doing. Satan has no power beyond what God gives him the power to have. He cannot do anything without the Lord giving him the permission to do it. And in the end of it all, praise the Lord, God blessed his man Job and restored to him multitude times over the possessions that he had lost. He didn't restore to him his children, but he did give him many more children. And so we can say easily, we don't know just like Job didn't know what God is doing and why all this is happening. But what we can say is that God is going to bring good from it and he will bring glory to himself. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
And he is going to grow his bondservants through it all. That's you and me. And he's also going to judge the ungodly. Listen to Isaiah again, chapter 14, beginning in verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. Now the Lord is talking about breaking the back of Assyria, as he says in verse 25. The Assyrians were those group of people, those alien people that came in to destroy the Lord's work. But it was God who brought the Assyrians in to judge his own people. And he says, I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Solomon, when he was writing the letter to Ecclesiastes in chapter 8 verse 10 understood this same thing from the Lord and he writes this so then I have seen the wicked buried those who used to go in and out from the holy place and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus this too is futility because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly in other words the Lord delays his judgment oftentimes and the Lord says, therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. In other words, because God withholds his judgment, often the sinful heart will progress worse and worse and do more and more thinking, oh, there's no big deal. There must not even be a God and they'll continue on in their evil ways. And that's what the Lord through Solomon is acknowledging here. But in verse 12, he says, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life still I know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear him openly but it will not be well for the evil man and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God in other words God is going to have the final say the apostle Paul in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 said for after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you talking about the people of the church who are under great persecution and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will re be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire listen when Jesus comes back the apostle Paul listen to what he says here he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Beloved, listen. We don't know specifically why God has allowed or caused through the work of Satan's evil power, and that's what he does. He uses Satan in his own wicked schemes to accomplish his own purpose. We don't know exactly what God is doing, but what we can say with certainty is that the coronavirus proves to us that God is infinite, we are not, but also death is very real. And there's not one person that will escape death. God will have the final say for those who live with him in life eternity or away from him in death eternity. Now, there are some things that we do know about God, and that's what we want to finish up with here this morning. What are some of the purposes of God that we do know? Some things that we can justifiably from Scripture say. 
Well, number one, we know that God has told us we're not to be anxious for anything. No matter what we're finding ourselves in, we are not to be anxious for anything. We're not to be worried or concerned about anything. Let's listen to our Lord's words here in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. This is the Lord Himself saying to us, As to what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor food for your body as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy? much more than they? Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow and do not toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But listen, and I just love this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow and is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, and that's a reference to those that are the unsaved, those who have not trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they eagerly seek all of these things, and we're watching that. We've watched that for years. The world goes out and fervently seeks everything that it can find, even stocking up on toilet paper during a virus where there is not even any issue related to that. The world goes out and seeks everything it can. Why? Because the world has no heavenly father to care for them. It's a sad situation, but it's absolutely true. For you and me who are followers of Christ, children of the living God, you and I have promised here from the Lord and in other places that God will provide everything that we need. What a glorious truth that is. What a beautiful truth that is. But the world doesn't have a Heavenly Father. The world doesn't have a God who will provide for them. And so they have to go out in great fear and concern to try to figure out how to make their ends meet ends meet, but you and I don't have to worry about those things. And that's the commandment here from the Lord. And he says in verse 33, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we really need to be doing in these days. And when we do that, all these things will be added to you. Everything that we need, food, clothing, shelter, the provisions for this life, maybe not everything we want, but the Lord will provide everything that we need. And he says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. I haven't told you what I'm going to do tomorrow. You don't need to worry about that. Make sure that you're taking care of what needs to be taken care of today because each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, again, the world is running fearful. The world is running all over the place trying to come up with answers that they do not have. And we pray that God will give the answers. But until God is ready, the world will not have the answers because God is calling his people to not be worried or to be anxious over anything. Because when we don't see, when we don't understand, he wants us to trust him. Just simply trust him. This is a time of growing our trust. And I'll talk about that more in just a minute. He says, I'll give you what you need. I'll provide for you just at the exact right moment, just like the birds don't have a place To store anything, I give them everything that they need, but you're so much more valuable than the birds that I created, he says. 
our focus is to be on pursuing Him. Seeking His righteousness. Going after Him. Seeking His kingdom. You say, well, what does that mean? To seek God means we put Him first in everything. That He is our first thought in our minds. He's the last thought in our minds. As we go to bed at night, He is the continual thought in our minds throughout the day. That we're constantly looking to Him for everything and constantly thanking Him for everything. And we're constantly pursuing a righteous life. A life that is one that is pleasing to Him. Living according to His Word. That's what it means. Seeking salvation. Not that we need to be born again again, but that we live out our salvation on a daily basis and rejoice in the eternal redemption of our souls that God has promised to us. And knowing that in the interim, He's going to provide everything that we need. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And the Lord is talking about our salvation there, but I believe we could apply it to this time in life and every other time, is that the Lord was willing to give his own son in great sacrifice for us to make sure that we have been made right with the Father, that the penalty has been paid of our uh, against him, And he's going to provide us everything that we need in this life. He's going to give us jobs that we need. This is not a time to question what we're going to do. This is not a time to question our income. Now, I'm not talking about not being wise. We're certainly supposed to be wise. But we don't need to live in anxiousness and anxiety over these things. We don't need to be worried about our health. God has promised that he will provide. Now, listen, that provision may be that he takes us home. That could be his provision through it all. You say, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, I want to ask you to check your heart. Because the greatest joy, and that's what we're celebrating even now, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, was putting the stake in the ground saying, I will accomplish what I came to do, which was to pay the penalty of man's eternal sin against God and make them right with the Father. If you're not rejoicing over this very season of what Christ has done and every day rejoicing over what the Lord has done, there may be question, time, may be time to question your heart and how you stand before the Lord. So God doesn't want us to be anxious. Here's the second thing. He wants to humble us. We know that for sure. And if you haven't gotten that by now, hopefully you will hear that and you'll see that. But let's just look at something that God very specifically said to this subject in Deuteronomy chapter 8 when he was leading the people of Israel out. Notice what he says here, and it really applies to us in many ways. He says through Moses to the children of Israel, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Don't forget. Otherwise, listen, here's where it applies to us. When you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, here's what's going to happen in verse 14. Your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint 
In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you. There it is. He did all of that to humble you. And that he might test you to do good for you in the end. If you've been following along with the daily devotionals that I've been putting together, you know that I talked about this verse the other day. And this passage really helps us understand why God brings about the challenges in our lives. He knows, he knows full well that the more plentiful we are, our sinfulness will elevate us to God-like status. He knows that. He knows what the curse has done in our hearts. Because most people rely on what they have done for themselves to get by in this life. They rely on their achievements. They rely on their abilities. They rely on their possessions to give them some kind of identification in this life. And God doesn't want that for His people. He wants us, beloved, to continually come to Him for everything. For everything. We've already seen in the previous passage of how He's promised that He's going to provide all our needs. But He also wants to make sure we are humbled. So we don't go looking for everything ourselves and usurp his work in us and become self-reliant, which is exactly what happened to the Hebrews even though he warned them. And God has been sending that message to us for centuries now. When I prosper you, don't forget me. Don't forget where everything comes from. Don't forget who is the one who has made all of your life possible. Don't forget who even gave you breath to live in this life. And all of that should greatly humble us. And I have to believe that one of the things that we really know here is that God is telling us through this curse, you need to trust me. You need to humble yourself and you need to cast all of your trust upon me. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he rode in on that Palm Sunday, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And even those words, as they spoke them on that day, as he rode into Jerusalem, they didn't understand them. But what Jesus was really referring to is, the day that I come back again is when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The point is, beloved, he was more than willing to do for the people anything that was needed to be done. Listen to how he said that. Oh, I would have gathered you in my arms if you would have just listened to me. But they were so stubborn, so focused on having a king deliver them from the Egyptians back in the Hebrew days, so focused on calling to them a leader who would free them from the, uh, from the Romans instead of letting him do in their hearts what he really wanted to do, which was to save them from their sin. He didn't come to establish his own earthly kingdom in that sense. He came to rescue us from the penalty of death. And too often we look to Jesus for the wrong reasons. We often want him to fix all of our problems. But he didn't come to fix our problems. He came to provide for us, yes, but he came mainly to humble us so we would depend on him. Surrender ourselves to Him. Our pride shows up when we're so unwilling to humble ourselves to ask. 
so unwilling. James says in chapter 4, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. In other words, we're so wicked that when we can't get what we want, we'll kill somebody for it. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Property disputes, boundary disputes, land disputes, who owns this, who doesn't own that, what belongs to me, what doesn't belong to me. You're so envious because you don't get, you fight and quarrel. Listen, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, Lord, don't let us suffer through this virus because if you let us suffer through this virus, then we won't be able to have what we really want to have is the life that we think we should have. And God says that's exactly right and that's why I'm bringing you this virus because I want you to understand you need to trust me. Your faith needs to be in me. And we need to seek Him. But that requires humility. It requires us to humble ourselves, letting God take us down and move us to a place where we cannot provide for ourselves. God knows that. Where we can't do for ourselves anything that we want to do, where we can't have anything of our own making. It takes humility, beloved. Where we consider Him first above all others. Listen again. This virus, think with me for a second, this virus knows no age, it knows no status, it knows no wealth, it knows no possessions. Every single person is on an equal plane right now across the entire world. That's humbling. That's humbling. There's not anything that anybody has up on anybody else, especially humbling in a world that steps on each other to get to the top. So the Lord says, listen, you're not to be anxious for anything. That's what we know. No matter what the situation is, and we're to be humble through all of this. Thirdly, he wants to grow our faith, and that should be pretty obvious. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance then have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, it takes difficulties to grow our faith. The Lord knows that. Faith does not grow without having some challenges. Just like a pilot is not able to call him or herself a pilot unless they've actually flown the plane and go through all the testing. But until you get behind the stick, you're not going to be a pilot. A driver can't be a driver unless they've gotten behind the wheel. A parent can't be called a parent unless they've actually spent time parenting. A leader can't call himself or herself a leader unless they've spent time leading. It's the same thing. We can't call ourselves people of faith if we're not living by the faith that God calls of us. It's really just that simple. We are not, you and I are not going to have faith unless faith is put to the test to see if it's real. And the Lord knows that. Which is exactly what James says. Look at verse 2 of James in verse 14. Excuse me, chapter 2 of verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? That's exactly what I was saying. James 2.17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In verse 20, but, you are, but, you, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that, without, that faith without works is useless? 
Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Listen, James is saying, you say you're a child of God and that you have faith in him. It's useless to say that if you don't live with action to back it up. And times like this give us the greatest of faith tests right now to be able to prove our faith. So many people, though, and I'm talking about God's people, are so fearful right now of what may be happening. I've been surprised, quite honestly, shocked at the number of people that profess to be God's people that have just been so fearful through all of this. I said, we just need to understand that God is testing us to grow our faith because he wants us to be the people that he's called us to be. Some of you are having to change your lives completely. And that's no nothing to laugh at. Some of you are having to make some real radical changes. Some of you who are in school have not been able to go back to school. Some people who have longed for graduation after a hard four years of schooling have not been able to go back to graduate or won't be able to graduate at least in May when they were hoping to. There are people who are not able to go back to the office. People are having to learn how to homeschool each other, their children. I mean, it just goes on and on of what people are having to do. You know, God may take this so far, truthfully, that he may require of us giving up our jobs, giving up our homes even. We don't know how far this is going to go. Maybe we'll even have to give up loved ones to the virus. Many people have already done that. I pray that that's not true, that God will stop all of this before any of that happens. But what we need to remember, even if God does take us through all of that, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that there is no temptation that has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation, provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Listen, that can, do both, that can go both ways. Either you can be tempted to give in to the fear that you're feeling right now, or you can resist and grow your faith and watch God do some wondrous, amazing things. So, what do we know from Scripture? We know that God doesn't want us to be anxious. He's humbling us. And He wants to grow our faith. And then there's one last thing here that I want to bring to us this morning, and that is... Through all of this, God is bringing glory to himself. He's bringing glory to himself. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, when God called Israel to be his own nation, he warned them not to be afraid but to trust him as he was leading them into the land because what he was doing through them was giving himself glory through it all. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7, I say this, says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, talking to Israel, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you And I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, and though the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, and listen, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Listen, each of those verses, from verses 1 through 6, are a repetition of the reasons why God had no need, was giving Israel no need to fear anything. And the overriding reason is in verse 5 because God is with them and in verse 7 because He created them for His glory. But then verse 7 gives us clarity even beyond Israel. Not just for was God doing this for Israel's sake and for His own glory through Israel but for everyone in verse 7 who is called by my name. All throughout Genesis and beyond the Old Testament, we see God doing this very thing, creating, preserving, creating, preserving a certain people from Adam and Eve who rebelled to Noah and Abraham and Isaac to Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph and Moses. The people of God were preserved. Why? Why was God doing all of that? To bring himself glory. To bring glory to himself. That's what he says in verse 7. I created you, Israel... From the beginning of it all, from the time when God first said to Abraham, and even before when God put man on the earth, God had in his infinite plan a plan to bring glory to himself. You say, well, what is God's glory? Well, glory has a couple different meanings depending on the context it's used in. In one sense, it's referring to the honor and praise, but it also can mean beauty. The beauty of God. In this context, it refers to just that. You say, well, God doesn't have any form to look at. So what are we talking about here when we stay in beauty? What is beauty? Well, really what God is referring to here is I will bring glory to myself. And he's talking about his attributes, his inner self, his perfection, all that he is. John Piper, who's done much on this subject of God's glory, said this, God's glory is the perfect harmony of of all his attributes into one infinitely beautiful and personal being. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, in love he predestined us, listen to this now, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. God called us, he predestined us, he chose us for his will, watch, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which, we free, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. What Paul's saying here is that all that God has done to save us, which causes His creation to praise Him for the grace that He has given, is beautiful because this grace is something that comes from within God that we cannot understand in our sinfulness. He did it for Himself. You and I were not placed on this earth for our own good and our own intentions, and that's all part of it. But ultimately, God did what He did to bring Himself glory. 
His grace is beyond comprehension. Why is His grace beyond comprehension? Because for an infinite God to provide grace to those that sin against Him is an incomprehensible thing. But why would God do that? Why would God offer His Son as the payment for our sin? Because He wanted to bring glory to Himself to fulfill His purpose in bringing glory to Himself in the original creation act, God did that through the hearts of sinful men and redeemed them, called them back to redemption so that His glory would be shining forever and forever. That's the purpose that man exists, to display His glory. You and I were created to be the reflections of God's glory. And again, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and the things in the earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. We were created for his glory. And Paul continues in him in verse 13, you also, After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? What is Paul really saying? What is God saying through this? God did what he did to create human beings to radiate himself, to magnify himself. That's the purpose that he made you and me. But God also knew that there would be those who would reject his glorious grace for salvation. There would be people that would reject him. And for those who did accept and did receive salvation from God, we have the purpose of displaying his grace. The others, God will deal with in his own way. And you say, okay, pastor, that's great. That's really good news. That's interesting, informative. What does that have to do with God bringing about the virus for his glory? How does that fit? Well, remember, everything that God does, he does to bring himself glory. Isaiah says in verse 48, For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Isaiah 66, 18, For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Philippians 2.10, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know what the Lord is doing? I don't know in a lot of ways, but what I do know is that he's telling us, don't be anxious. I want you to humble yourself and I want you to trust me and I want you to realize that everything that I'm doing in this life is to bring myself glory because I am God. 
He is infinite and far beyond anything and anyone that we could ever comprehend. And this virus is designed by God to cause us to fall to our knees and cry out to a holy father and say, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I've committed against you. Change my heart, Lord. Call me. Open my mind and help me to see the reality of what you've done for me. Show me your love. Give me the grace to believe. And I believe that God is sending a message, just like many preachers have been preaching for weeks now, about how God is saying to the world, listen, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And those of you who belong to me, humble yourself and make sure that I'm first in your life. What is God doing? What's the purpose of the virus? Well, Satan means it for evil. We didn't even talk about that. But Satan's purposes are to destroy. That's what the scripture says, to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has given his son to give us life and have life more abundantly. If you're out there today and you're listening to my voice, you're seeing my face and you're hearing all this, the thought from the Lord, the truth from the Lord would be, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be the day to get your life right with him. You just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that my sin has violated you and I trust you as Lord and Master. I give you my life. I surrender to you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. That's the prayer of the unrighteous to the righteous God. The prayer of the righteous to the righteous God is, Lord, thank you for opening my heart. Thank you for showing me that you are infinite in your wisdom and I am just a humble servant but a servant that you love as a child and one who you will provide for and have called not to be anxious, but to be full of faith and trust and hope and to be a reflection of your glory in everything that we do. That's really the message of the Lord, I believe, and that's something that I think all of this is things that we need to think about as we go through these days so that we're separated from the world by faith and to keep the world from worrying so much they can watch us and say, look, here's a God that you can have hope and trust in. That's why we need to be reaching our neighbors. We need to be doing whatever we can do to make access for the unbelievers to see God through us and in us. Listen, in these days, it's not a time to stop pursuing God. It's not a time to get comfortable with the world and just retreat into your own corner, but to continue to give to God's work and continue to serve God in everything that you can do with the limited ability that you may have. But together as God's people, we can do much. All right. Praise his name. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then Brother Ernesto will come. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in these days, even though there's much that we don't understand and don't know. Your mind is far beyond anything that we can know. But Lord, thank you that there are some things, and many that we didn't even touch upon, that you have told us. And so while we are learning and growing through all this, we pray that we would be humble people, that we would remove from our hearts pride and arrogance, and that we would grow in our faith and our trust as we watch you display your glory through your provision for us. And Lord, as we watch people whose heart heart is opened by your grace and your mercy in these days. Save the unrighteous, we pray, Lord. And give grace to the righteous, we ask. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.